0: Do you want to know what's going on in the Adventist world, but you only have five minutes? Well, you're in luck. The Scratch is an SDA news aggregator condensing broad news down into one short brief delivered right to your inbox every single week. The Scratch team has developed a new, more efficient way for Adventists from all generations and all places to engage with their denomination, but they need your help. In order to fund this endeavour, they're raising $12,000 by July 9th through Kickstarter. If you believe that news should be accessible and easy to understand, consider supporting The Scratch by going to www.thescratchnews.com. That's (laughs) www.thescratchnews.com.
1: Welcome back to
0: Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a podcast to help you save the best and burn the rest of your culture and faith practices. And you'd think
1: we'd pre-record the beginning and then just play that over and over, but instead we do it live every time.
0: Yeah, that's because we love you and we want to get a great product to you every single time. Personal touch, you know, it, it's, easy to, it's easy once you've been podcasting as long as we have to just kind of go through the motions but no we want to we want to deliver a fresh episode every single time it's our promise to you don't promise that <laughs> that's a horrible <laughs> promise to make how are we going
1: to repeat content down the track and how are we going to keep saying the same things and get people hyped
0: up we'll just get a thesaurus and we'll just say things slightly differently that's a great
1: idea yeah. we'll go back
0: and go to our old episodes
1: but instead of re like re release them. We'll just re-record them, but just use a thesaurus and come up with substitute words every every few words or so. So That's a different
0: episode. That's hashtag content for you. Mm.
1: Hashtag brand new original
0: content. Speaking of uh, hashtag brand new original content, it is E3 season. And I remember... The best season. The best season. It's like Christmas 2.0 in the middle of the year, (laughs) which is just that little that little boost that you need through the middle of winter just to get you through that cold, rainy, at least here in New Zealand, season of depression and darkness. Nah, it's not (laughs) too bad. It's not like we're here, you know, like midnight, like in the Nordic North or anything like that during their winter. But it is nice. Some places have
1: it much worse in terms of winter. But I mean, it's not like winter in... I guess especially Palmerston North isn't easy because people get that sad, the seasonal what is that seasonal affective depression
0: yeah yeah it's a thing it's definitely a thing and even if you don't get that which i don't know if i get that maybe i'm just a depressed person in general i don't know i Um, got it when i was living there yeah Yeah.
1: oh i just i mean not like full-fledged depression just because of the season but i definitely noticed my mood was way worse when there was no sunshine and it was just gray for days and days and days people get it in london and yes yes yeah no that's true that's true. So, well,
0: well, I, I mean, if, even if you don't get that, there's other perils. Like I got sick all last week, and that was horrible. As somebody who I never got sick before, I don't know before I hit the age of seventeen, eighteen, I never got sick. But then I just started getting sick like once or twice a year, and ugh, it sucks. I got sick all last week, and so everything just slowed down. I reevaluated everything about my life because I had a fever. <laughs> And I got that sort of feverish, you know, the feverish sort of, you know, wanting to reevaluate everything. Um, Yeah. So that really sucked. Wow. If
1: only E3 happened last week when you were sick, you could have just (laughs) sat at home and watched it the whole time. All the live streams and that would have been perfect. That would have been amazing. (laughs) Because when you get sick, you get really sick. Ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, but Jesse, when he gets sick, it's like
0: a train wreck. Bro, I went to bed at eight o'clock, three nights in a row. That's that's amazing. I go. I'm such a night owl. Like I'll I could stay. I'll I used to stay up to like midnight to one o'clock every night, basically when I was at college. But oh, same. Yeah, easy. Yeah, and I don't remember ever going to bed before midnight when no. I was at college. Why would you?
1: <laughs> it's college. Yeah, like all the action starts <laughs> at like eleven. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's when everyone
0: gives up studying and starts doing fun stuff. Oh, and I embraced that. I loved it. It was amazing. But yeah, yeah it was great. When I got sick, I was like yeah, bed looks so good right now. I just want to go to bed and I don't, that's not me. Um, but yeah. No, it's really not. Yeah. And, it, wow. and it, what made it worse was last week, like um, for those of you who don't know, um, my wife and I have been um, looking at, at buying our first home and so we're getting everything sorted that needs to get sorted to buy our first home and it's a lot. There's a lot that you need to do, especially if your first first-timers, like getting your home loan and getting pre-approval and doing the paperwork and getting a lawyer sorted out and signing all the... Pa- it's, there's just so much. And so I was doing that last week because we were putting an offer in for a house. Ooh, um, exciting. Yeah, well, we didn't get it. We got uh. knocked back, sadly. It was a multi-offer. And so we were just one of several offers. But we did it. And so I, in the, even though I was sick, I was like dragging myself around like the council office and then the solicitor's <laughs> office and then the, the real estate agent. And it was a stupid thing to do um, for ultimately nothing because we didn't even get the house in the end.
1: <laughs> no, no. I mean, uh, it, it's progress. That's the big yes, thing at the end of the day. Experience. It's progress on something that, well, a lot of people are probably pretty envious. The fact that you can even put in an offer on a
0: house. We are good. very, yes. We, I, I very much count myself lucky that we even have this opportunity. I'm very grateful. Um, yeah. But worst possible time to do it <laughs> is my point. And anyway, it's the worst possible. Like we could have done it this week. Like <laughs> that would have been so much better. But we'll keep trucking along. We'll keep we'll keep going. And now at least that I've done all this stuff, um, now at least we're going to have a little bit more of a cruisy time of it because all the stuff that needs to be sorted is more or less sorted. We just have to do the offering if we see a house that we like. So... Here's hoping, mm. fingers crossed, that something will come along and we'll be able to, yeah, buy our first home. Big step, so scary, massive step. What a what a grown up. No, oh, so cool, I hate being grown up. <laughs> 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 being grown up is the worst. Yeah, uh. I just, doing everything last week just reminded me of all the times when I was like a teenager and I was like, life was so simple, and I thought the most complicated thing was like my friends and. You know, the girls that I liked and the girls that didn't like me back. And that was like the hard, complicated stuff about life. And yet, well, yeah. Girls
1: are complicated. I don't think that got any... I, I shouldn't comment <laughs> on that. but <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to say nothing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, it's part of growing up, I guess. So there's the message of the day. Kids, yeah. don't grow up. Just stay children forever. Stay children.
0: I mean, if baby boomers... If baby that's boomers else. are correct, then millennials are still children. Like that's what I hear every new, few, you know, few months.
1: You like, know, I wish I lived. To be honest, I wish I lived the stereotypical millennial life. I <laughs> wish I had smashed avo and a barista served coffee every day. It'd be nice. I hey. wish I didn't do anything. I wish I hardly worked, and I wish I just played video games all the time, and yeah. you know, just had like a amazing social media presence and all that kind of thing. You wish How that your, I become your, that
0: your job was like a professional crochet and Instagram um, <laughs> Instagram what call influencer or something like that like I crochet <laughs> oh stuff and then I sit by the beach with a mojito and and take pictures of my feet
1: <laughs> and get paid for it too yeah exactly.
0: you wear oh. a toe ring in one photo of your thing and bam money for no reason. I saw something interesting the other day um. Instagram accounts, uh, AI Instagram accounts are becoming more and more of a thing. I've seen one before, but I didn't know they were becoming more of a thing. Yeah, I'm seeing more and more. There's three that I saw the other day on another podcast, the H3 podcast, they were talking about it. And they're AIs, so they're 3D rendered AI people, but they're so well rendered that there are literally people who think that they're real people. And they have clothing lines and they promote products just like a regular um, Instagram influence, like a human being actually does. And yet they're produced by an algorithm. It's freaky stuff, man.
1: (sighs) That's amazing. We should (laughs) do an episode on AI one day. That'd be fascinating. I read, yeah, about the only research I've done for it is I read a very interesting chapter of a book. Ah. (laughs) Yes, well, that's but all you That's need. what I have to offer. But <laughs> yeah, no, we should. We should do that. Okay, we're, that's my... that's Okay, I'm, I'm making a promise. We're going to do an episode on AI one yeah, day. Yeah, and yeah. you guys are going to love it. So give that's us some feedback we... now and let
0: us know what you want to know about AI. Yeah. yeah we're going to we'll, do an episode. It's going to we'll, be great. We'll invite Elon Musk onto the episode and he can talk about <laughs> it a little bit. Imagine! All right, no,
1: okay. Let's... <laughs> But for now, we have a very important topic to talk about. Yeah, it's a it's big deal.
0: We're moving into serious mode at a, obviously at about the ten minute mark, like we normally do. <laughs> yeah, fun, fun. Josh and Jesse are gone. Serious. Josh and Jesse are here to stay.
1: There is no more room for fun on this podcast. Serious, it's serious content.
0: time. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> today, we want to talk about the law. Yes, we want to talk about the law. The most fun thing about the Bible. The most fun thing about forget grace, forget Jesus, forget living together <laughs> as a church, grace, salvation, new heaven, new earth, the law. The law is where it's at, ladies and gentlemen. It is the best part.
1: Just in case anybody thought that was serious, that was sarcasm. In case anybody takes this out as a clip and <laughs> takes out of context, <laughs> that was sarcasm. Okay. Yeah. So just so we know. But I mean, the law is one. I think it's one of the most misunderstood things in the Bible. It's something that, um, yeah, I don't. I'm going to say a lot of people have a very uh, misconstrued understanding of it, or maybe maybe we have a misconstrued understanding of it. I don't know. But from my perspective, I just think there's a lot of room for growth when we talk about the law. Yeah, and it
0: takes up like what five to ten percent. Learned about the Bible or something? It's it's a big chunk. It's a serious chunk. Like the first five books of the Bible um, is what we call the law, the Torah, you know? And that is basically forms the basis, the foundation for the entire biblical narrative, right? Those first five books, they really are the thing that sets everything in motion and everything kind of calls back to that throughout the rest of the entire Bible. Um, But it's interesting when we talk about the law, a lot of people say a lot of different things and a lot of people mean a lot of different things when they talk about the law because when people talk about the law, they could either be referring to the Ten Commandments. like That's, that's one of the, the pretty obvious ones. Um, the law of God as a sort of overarching divine manifesto or law code as it relates to God's character and God's governing principles by which the entire universe is ordered or we could refer to the 613 sort of laws that we find inside the torah as well as outside the torah the or is it 611 good 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 question That's it's e- <laughs> a whole <laughs> argument that we're not even going to go into but anyway we are yeah. definitely not qualified to have that discussion <laughs> no we're but not Jewish enough there's somewhere between 611 and 613 on top of the and and as well as the the original 10 Um,
1: But there's definitely not 612. It's only 611 or 613. How could you even suggest that? That's
0: just (laughs) crazy talk, Joshua. (laughs) Don't even get on to 614. That's just being ridiculous. No, that's... Yeah, definitely not. Um, Uh And the law is... uh, A lot of Christians and a lot of people have a really interesting uh, relationship with the law because for many people... I don't know if this has happened to you, Josh, but... You know that that part in the maybe it's a group discussion at church or in a small group or in a Bible study and you're talking about grace and everybody's talking about how great good grace is and the grace of God and the grace of Jesus. and yep. there's always that one person who goes up, 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 up. but we mustn't forget about the law oh, because time. the law is important, right?
1: There's like, no, that's one thing. Okay, I'm going to say that's one of the things that frustrated me the most in a lot of my lectures at college. <laughs> like there was just never any room to stop and have a party around grace. It's always like, like you can never just be like, wow, I am just so happy about grace and so happy to be saved by Jesus because of grace. What a good time. It's always, you are saved by grace. But, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, I know, I know, I mean, but it's just, come, come on, can we just, can we just take some time to enjoy that? But anyway, yeah. okay, we're going to, like that. One we're going to continue. Other. Yeah,
0: yeah. Let the um, hype train continue. Let the hype train continue. Um, and, you know, there are many Christians today who feel totally condemned by the law. Like they look at all the stuff that's in the law. Um, in those 613 and all the things that God commands us to do throughout the, the the scriptures not just contained within that subset of the law and they read it and they just feel like I, I can never um, I can never match up I can never be good yep. enough um, and there's and a lot of people who aren't Christians anymore because of the law mm. if we're being honest there's a lot exactly. of people who left the church because they don't
1: feel good enough or they a lot of people who left following Jesus at all just because they
0: felt so condemned. They, they read all these laws and they thought, what how how the hell am I going to even start to interpret this? This doesn't make any sense. Many of these are just plain bizarre. Um, some of these seem really cruel and unjust. They seem sexist. They seem racist. They seem homophobic. Um, there's all these reasons why people would reject it. Um, and then there's, there's, there's a subset of people who completely reject it on the basis of, well, look, I'm just going to, try and be a good person, I'm just going to try and live my life, I don't need any any of that stuff, I don't want to be subject to any bizarre, ancient, cruel laws, I'm just going to try and do the right thing, I'm going to try and be a good person, and if God can't accept me for who I am and for what I'm trying to do, well, I don't want to go to heaven anyway.
1: Yeah, or there is the whole, (laughs) it's a very, I reckon it's a very small group, but there is a group of people, I mean, yeah, I don't know. okay, I I am trying I'm trying to think of like the the circumstance where I under, under first encountered this and um and <laughs> but it's a, okay, it was basically somebody and they were um doing some things that at the time I was like, wow, that's a bit questionable. And I I talked to them about it and then they were like that you can probably picture the scene, they recline back on their chair, light <laughs> up a cigarette with their scotch. And then it's like, it's all contextual. Like, they just did not, (laughs) all of it is just has its own context. That obviously, none of that context must be relevant to me. So, that's like pure grace. And I mean, good on them for it. But I just was like, okay, that can't be, that can't be all right. You know, that sort of, (laughs) it wasn't the exact situation. But I want you guys to just let your
0: imagination run wild for a little bit. That's like, that's like kind of somebody's trying to tell you something. That's pertinent to something that you're doing, trying to tell you, hey, this isn't the right thing, and you're just putting your ears, your hands over your ears, going blah, blah, blah. I don't want to, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Sort yep. of thing. That's kind of like just I don't wanna I don't wanna know it. And even if you tell me, it doesn't apply to me because yeah. reasons.
1: Yeah. We're in twenty twenty nineteen. Like I there's obviously even though this was like ten
0: years ago, but there's like there's <laughs> obviously no context for me. Like, I don't there, know. They were clearly living in 2019, ten years ago. You know? <laughs> they were way ahead of the, the curve. Me, the man. pleb, in 2009, but they oh. were living the whole time in 2019. What was I doing wrong with my life? <laughs> um, but that's not even, you know, that, that that's that's one side of it. But there's this other side of it as well, especially in Adventism. Like there's this whole last generation theology part of our oh. church, which is yeah. which takes the law to an even further. A, a sort of extreme, where they believe that in order for Jesus to come again, there needs to be a perfect generation that illustrates and exemplifies the character of Jesus perfectly and who keep God's law perfectly. That's the that's, that's the, the conditions. That's the only conditions on which Jesus can return. And so everything yep. is just focused on striving towards becoming perfect and keeping God's law perfectly
1: yeah which comes with its own big string of problems um, the story church project we should give a little shout out to that podcast yeah. they did a great couple of episodes or oh, about three episodes on it yeah, um, yeah. Uh, like we don't see it exactly the same way but you know it, there was still some really great unpacking
0: of the problems that it causes and I'll, I'll, yeah I don't know I, I just have to recommend that yeah I guess shout out um, to Marcos they he did it He and um, his co-host did a really good job. Co-host, well guest it was yes. a guest, yeah, yeah 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 um yeah and so it was um yeah I,
1: I, and that's the thing that that whole idea of this at the last days there'll be this group of people and they will just be absolutely perfect they will keep the exact letter of the law to the t yeah. yeah even that comes with a whole string of problems because then there's certain laws that they don't they're written differently for example mm. um so so you know like uh and maybe we'll get into this a bit later but um, to do with the Passover lamb before they were in, yeah. um, before they entered the Promised Land, it was what was it?
0: Roast, roast the lamb. Yeah, do not boil it. Don't boil it. But then afterwards, it switches. So it's and like, it's boil it. So then, how can we do both? Like, if they're directly contradicting each other. And yeah, and m- I mean, most y- of these y- people are vegetarians anyway. Like, really. <laughs> Well, that's true. So it's not a problem. If so maybe they will be perfect because they've, yeah. they've overcome. They've figured it out. They've figured out the loophole. Just be vegetarian. <laughs> be vegan. <laughs> <So> you, don't, <laughs> you don't have to drink the milk or eat the goat. Yeah. Wow. Wow. How do we not see this? Okay. <laughs> this is next level thinking.
1: Yeah, man. They're living in 2029. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're
0: living 2077. 2077. No. They're cyberpunks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're such nerds. All right. Uh, um, yeah, so the question then that we have to ask is are we is it possible that we are reading the law incorrectly because all of this to the average person if you're just listening to us and you're just kind of going yeah, all these laws kind of they're weird, they a lot of them don't make sense, some of them are just totally Im- immoral from from the from the outset like just from a, a cursory reading, they seem bizarre and all this sort of stuff. So The question is then, how do we read these laws and is it possible that we in Christianity, quote unquote, Christendom and Adventism, to get more specific to our faith tradition, is it possible that we're reading them wrong? Um, Mm. So to, to give you guys some full... Full confession, clarification. Um, a lot of the the content that we are drawing from in this episode comes directly from t- well, one of our Josh and my our personal favorite, um, one of our favorite sources, the Bible Project. Um, Tim and John, they are a nonprofit in Portland, Oregon, who produce um, blogs and videos and and articles and study notes and resources and. They're just fantastic. Um, they're primarily an animation studio, but recently they did, uh, I'm li- I'd like to say five or six episodes on The Law uh, on their podcast. Um, yeah, I think it was six in total because yeah. they did a QA and a episode as well. Okay, so that equates to about six, six and a half, seven hours probably total when you add it all up content. So it's a lot of content to go through. Um, but, you know, J- Josh and I are Bible nerds. We love this. Um, it's kind of like I, I lap it up i love it so we really really enjoyed it i i put it on to josh um it's funny we'll like he'll listen to one he'll be like have you listened to this and i'll be like <laughs> oh i've got to listen to it and then i'll listen to one of like have you listened to this and so we'll yeah. go back and forth um but they're drawing on a lot of really really good i think joshua berman is one of the scholars that they draw on the most who is a scholar um that deals primarily with law Jew- jewish law torah And in this podcast series, which all culminated in a video, which we'll link um, in the show notes because the video is a really nice summary. There's two videos, actually, but the one they most recently produced is a really nice summary of this whole discussion. Um, And they talk about the law in a really, really different way. And So, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about today um, comes from them. So... I'm saying that because if you want to dig deeper into this, you can first go and watch the video. But then if you want to go that next step, I really encourage you to actually go and listen to their podcasts on this because they talk about so much more over this sort of six-hour period that we can talk about in just like one hour. Um, yeah. So, as we, as we talk about this law, um, coming back to that question of are we reading the law um, incorrectly, we have to kind of make a distinction right at the very beginning about what it is that we're talking about when we talk about law as a concept. Um, because law is something that we kind of hold for granted. We understand what it means, but that meaning has actually changed a fair bit over the course of world history.
1: Yeah, the, the trap that we hit when we come into this is that we we put our, again, our twenty nine. 2019 well it, honestly even 20th century 21st yep. century goggles on and we read a word like the law and instantly we think it's the exact same kind of law as how we see the law today um, and in our particular culture so it's a big trap you can run into and this is something if you don't take the time to actually this is a whole thing about meta-narrative uh, understanding the bigger picture but also understanding the cultural times that we we just have to you can't take that for granted
0: it's something you've got to look into Mm. It's a really, it's a really good sort of case study for basic um, exegetical practice, best practice. You know, like it's really important to first figure out what did this mean to the original recipients, rather than going straight to the hermeneutic, which is what does it mean today. So when we think of law today, we think of it in terms of a Western European English judicial or statutory law sort of modus operandi, mode of operation, right? That's sort of what we think of. We think of sort of statutory law or also known as judicial law. Um, And most Western people just think that's what the law is today. Um, And really, the interesting thing about judicial law or statutory law which one do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about? Do you want to refer to judicial or statutory? Let's just pick one term and go with it. I
1: don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, let's let's go judicial. judicial? Let's go judicial. Oh, look at us. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I love it. All right. So, it's a judicial sign. law. Like we just we just think that that's what law is today. So, judicial law. It's kind of like it's kind of like the Magna Carta like the 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 sort of agreement that the english had all those hundreds of years ago and it's a law code and that law code is kind of written down in books or it's online and it's in sort of a library form you can go and read it or you can look it up and you can refer to it and it it covers a whole wide range of different ideas and subgroups and applications and it's basically your cheat sheet your guide for Okay, when x happens, then what happens afterwards? What's the natural consequences? What's the response? Yeah. Somebody steals my shoes. What do I do about it? What do they and
1: what is the punishment for it? You know, yes. like or if I want this, what is the legal way for me to do it? What happens, you know, it, it's it's an exact written document that you can then check to the t of what will happen, what should I do? Um, exactly the consequence all that sort of thing. I, I don't know if I explained yeah. that the best,
0: but yeah, yeah, no, that's that's exactly right. And and like most countries will have a constitution which the law code is ingrained in. And so if there's if you're a lawyer and you are on a case, whether you're you know in the place of the defendant or the um, what's the other one? Um, <laughs> uh, whether you whether you're defending or whether you are the accusing, yeah, accusing. accusing. The accuser, um, you will go to the the courthouse or online or your personal library in your law firm, and you will consult the law code. You will consult the the judicial code of whatever your your country is, and you will discern exactly how the. Um, the the, the the law should unfold in your particular situation and a lot of the nuance in law and in lawyers and in court cases is interpretation of that law so the letter of the law is without question it's just it's a priori it 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 nobody thinks about you know adjusting it it's there and it's set in stone but the nuance comes in where lawyers and solicitors will interpret the law and then we'll, we'll, we'll prescribe a certain interpretation according to what's written on stone tablets so to speak. Mm. Um, yeah and it, you know you could go into
1: your local um, I'm pretty sure you can go into like your local library or courthouse and it's all there in all these books and volumes and everything every law pretty much every law about everything and all probably these bunch of example cases, are there and you can see it.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's meant to
1: sort of be there, open for people so they can check it exactly how it is and easily
0: accessible to the public so you know the law. Yeah, and it it, it helps to know the law, especially because if you know the law and you know how to get away with this, that and the other, you can get away with a lot in our our culture today. Like I, I heard of a story, I saw it on Reddit actually, of a Chinese farmer, just a farmer living out somewhere in a village in China And a local mega corporation decided that they wanted to take over his farm, his rice paddy. Um, And because they twisted the law, they said, hey, this is what the law says, blah, blah, blah. Here's what we're going to do. And so he went to the local authorities and he um, trained himself. And he eventually became a lawyer so that he could get his farm back. And he did. Um, I remember seeing this story. Yeah, it was super interesting. Yeah, yeah. So... If you know the law and you are a powerful corporation, then you can potentially exploit that law for your own profit. But if you're on the other hand, the law is also there and it's easily accessible if you live in a democratic country where you can access the law. So if you see somebody breaking the law, getting away with it, you could potentially go and read up on the law and educate yourself so that you could stop that person from doing whatever it is that you deem as wrong. Yeah, um, and
1: that's probably like... I mean, you see it on the news all the time. Like, this person has been caught out for tax scandals and all that kind of thing. Um, the big, the biggest thing it all seems to come around is money. Um, you know, just... Uh, what is it? Money laundering and all that kind of thing. So, that's sort of... That's what we see all the time. And that's sort of what we're used to when we think about law. Now, you're already probably seeing a little bit of a problem here because this is so based on it being written and it being easily accessible to the public. Yeah. Now, obviously, the problem comes, like, the first five books of the Bible were written, obviously, but not for a while. Many, Um, many years. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, there's the theory that Moses wrote them, and even Moses writing it, that means a whole lot happened before Moses ever wrote it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, But they weren't exactly written and easily accessible for the public, all of these 600 rules.
0: The only ones that really were, were the Ten Commandments, I guess. I think the most, and this is my opinion, I think the most likely explanation is that they were written by a majority, a, a, a multiplicity rather, of scribes and people who are all unnamed. And this is one of the more popular theories that a redactor, a compiler, put them together into a, co- a cohesive, chronological, mostly chronological um, format. And that's where we have the Torah and the prophets and all these different things from people putting these texts together. We see that in Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. We have um, Genesis 1 and and then Genesis 2, which are kind of two different creation stories which kind of got put together. So there was kind of like a a time in history where different stories were being put together and explained in different ways, and somebody said, hey, we have to have a unified story so that we know what we're telling people when they ask, well, what's the story around this or what's the story around that? So that's that's my opinion, but it could be wrong. Um, Yeah, I
1: mean, there's a lot of theological... Um, there's a lot of scholarly debate about the origin and, and written history of the of the Torah. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, interesting little kettle of fish there. But um.
0: but, but even <laughs> then, um, ancient cultures are mostly oral. You know, they're not they're not written cultures, and so the 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 predominant way of communicating information is through a campfire with a, an elder telling a story. Um, to a bunch of people and then that story is then retold over and over and over again and that's how information is transmitted so we do have we do have ancient law codes for instance the most ancient law code probably that we have is Hammurabi's code code the ancient uh, babylonian king Hammurabi who um, they discovered this huge tablet in um, i think it's northern iraq Um, and that was thought to be one of the earliest law codes in existence. Um, But what's interesting about that particular law code is that um, we have uh, records, many records um, of, for instance, Babylonian uh, legal cases between judges and magistrates and stuff like that. And we have examples of how the law was upheld, how decisions were made, how, you know, verdicts were reached around, you know, who gets what and who gets punished and how they get punished and to what extent. But what's interesting is if you were a lawyer or a judge in the ancient world, you wouldn't refer to the law code in the same way that we refer to our law code today. In a modern court case, the law would be brought under scrutiny and certain parts of the law would be exposed in the court records. You would have a lawyer saying, according to Section 17, paragraph 3B, line, blah, 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 (laughs) blah. It says, but you don't see that in ancient law proceedings. You don't have records where a judge or a magistrate or an advocate or a, a prosecutor says okay according to Hammurabi's law code section 23 paragraph 1117b and, and that's never that's never referenced and so the question that we have to ask is why is that the case why do you have hundreds in some cases thousands of ancient law cases but they never appeal to that higher law code yeah um like even the the judges, um,
1: that we see. And we, we probably, when we think of the book of judges, we probably try and connect them to being like judges that we know that they would have judged everybody and gone by the, um, gone by the, the letter of the law sort of thing, like how judges do today. But instead, um, it seemed to be that they just had the, the wisdom of God, you Mm. know, like they weren't what they weren't judged, they weren't called to be judges because they were, you know, well read or anything like that in the law. It's because they had a connection to God, mm. which is an interesting paradigm shift that we don't think about a lot when we think about the law.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. So, ancient peoples they didn't think like we think today. Like they didn't have a written law code that they would have referred to when adjudicating between um, a dispute between a farmer and, you know, his neighbor or, you know, a wife and her husband or, you know, two neighboring, you know, rivals who are having a dispute over something. Like, you never see that. So, it makes you think, well, did people think in a judicial law sense? Well, clearly no. Then, in what sense did they think?
1: Yeah, which is, I don't know. I think it's hard. It's hard. I still struggle to think about the law like this. You know what I mean? Like outside of the way I think of law, and so I guess maybe the best thing for us to do, maybe maybe law isn't the right choice of word.
0: Mm. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean. I mean, the the term that we use most often to describe the way that people think is this idea of common law, which it could be maybe a better way to think of it is like common tradition or prevailing tradition. Um, Mm. The way things are done around here. Maybe that's a better way to think about it because that's how for most of human civilization, people have governed themselves and have governed the people underneath them by the prevailing local and national traditions of the land. Um, yeah, it's you're, you're uh, I don't know, you're this culture, so this is just what you do. This and, is how we work. And most cultures, for the most part, like we live in this multi- multiplicity of ethnicities sort of society. Like we live in this ethnically diverse place but in the ancient world, cultures and countries were mostly ethnically homogenous. You know, the Babylonians live in ancient Babylon. The Jews live on their own little piece of turf. You know, the Assyrians they live in their own little piece of the land. Yeah. And so, basically, everybody had this general homogenous understanding of, well, this is the way the things are done. You know, yeah. This- and if you're if you're a foreigner
1: you have to go around and ask people. And if there's a tradition, you have to basically ask people and figure out, oh, this is just what they do around here. So we sort of need to be respectful of that and
0: follow along. Yeah. So in in Hammurabi's law, let's say you're a bread thief and you've stolen a loaf of bread from the market. And according to Hammurabi's law, your punishment would be to have a finger cut off because that's the punishment according to Hammurabi. And that, by the way, was handed down by the gods. Um, that's something else that's that's really um, important to this whole thing. The idea is that the law are divine ideals that are handed down to man that are above man because they embody an ideal of a god or a divine being, right? So, these are divine ideals that are then to be dispensed amongst the people. So... Let's say that you're a bread thief and you stole a loaf of bread and you're being tried in an ancient Assyrian court and the judge says, okay, for your punishment, um, I'm going to sell your daughter into slavery. Well, if you're a modern reader of the law and you read Hammurabi's law, which would have been... um, commonplace and we know from from historical um, copying and and the way that this is distributed scribes and kings and officials copied Hammurabi's law and it was kind of it was it was everywhere people copied it over and over and over again it was kind of like the gold standard on which to base a law code so almost every country in the ancient world had some form of Hammurabi's code um, but again as we see it doesn't get referenced And a judge might elect to choose a different punishment or a different outcome for a case that contradicts what the actual law code of the country dictates. And so that just goes along with this idea that common law is not so much about preserving the law as it's written, as it is about preserving cultural tradition, aka this is how we do things around here
1: yeah it's it's more about like this is the kind of people we want rather than this is the kind of punishment we do mm. if that makes sense like it's it's not yeah it's not the same as
0: how we see it today yeah and and there's a lot more we see law today as being very cold and very you know this is these are the rules this is this is how it is it's sort of like we see the law as being etched in stone tablets on a wall you know like it can't change these are just the cold simple facts you know the facts don't care about your feelings whereas (laughs) (laughs) to quote the great Ben Shapiro (laughs) whereas um, common law is more about being the people that we are you know and these are the standards by which we live our lives and 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 this is this says something about who we are who our gods are who we worship and really it's it's a, yeah it's about us as a people yeah um so how do we then connect this to the bible right yeah. so to really understand and and when we when we talk about torah we're talking about the first 5 books of the bible we're not necessarily talking simply about Leviticus or Numbers or Deuteronomy. We're talking about that whole section. Um, so I think what's most helpful is if we talk about that, talk about the law, talking about the Torah, not so much as rules, but as a story. Um, yeah, because right. that's the
1: thing. It's, I mean, we say it all the time, but it's like, it's all context. Context, context, context is the main thing. And you got to sort of remember, um, I get why the the Bible was written. Um, yeah you know and a lot of people think that it's written to just be a rule book but that's very far from the truth it's it's a story like it's a big yeah it's a big story that all ties in and it's a s- story of how um of how god connected to his people and how yeah. he is redeeming his people as well you know that's it's not yeah I, and i think people when when people get confused about what the bible is is when you
0: get these really weird theologies and ideas and stuff about god yeah and a lot of it Sadly, is really disconnected from the original, um, the original story, which is yeah. really sad because we wouldn't have the Christian story were it not for the story of the garden or the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. I mean, mm. even you know the Book of Numbers that we have in Hebrew. I, I found this really interesting mm. as I was re- as I was listening to the the Bible Project guys. Um, the actual Hebrew word. Um, Bemimdar means in the desert. So it's not just numbers. It's the story of the people in the desert. So that, that helps How tell the story. How do we get numbers? from? Honestly, you know what I mean? <laughs> we have some so rubbish idiot, English
1: translations, but they can't. Idiot European
0: translators, man. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, but there's things that you can't sort of change. Like if all of a sudden you had a new book, like a new Bible printed and instead of numbers, you had it, what is it? People of the desert. Uh, in the like, desert. Yeah. 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 There would be an outrage. Everybody would be like, that's not what the book is called. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, we can't change it now. That's the most frustrating part. Uh, what were yeah. we thinking?
0: Yeah. All right. So the story, the story of the beginning, the story of the Torah basically goes like this you know, God creates this world and he creates this garden and he puts people in it and then he invites them to listen to his voice, that's a really key idea that comes back again and again and again, listening to the voice and living within his wisdom. Um, And we kind of translate this as obey, 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 obey. It's like this very stiff sort of authoritarian, you know, Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And in the Hebrew tradition, listening, hearing the voice is equivalent to obeying, you know. So, whenever you see something like obey my voice, it's more like listen to my voice because listening is obeying, essentially. Because if you listen and if you receive, then you you will be also more likely to obey. Um, and so, it's not like God is this authoritarian God who sets out the rules and he chisels them in stone like they're the sort of Ten Commandments beta version. It's like, these are the rules that you will live by. You know, and if you don't, you will die. It's like, no, listen to my voice and live by my wisdom. That's the idea that God sets up in the beginning. Um, And then what does Adam and Eve do? And then what does humanity continually do? Well, they rebel. They choose to not listen to the voice and they choose to willfully disobey. yeah, and people people look at the story of Adam and Eve as it, it's
1: just they disobeyed and they ate some fruit, but it's actually bigger than that because there's there's like two ways of of living a human life which God sort of presented. There's one where you just listen to God's voice and trust and follow Him where He leads, and then there's the other where you take on all the wisdom yourself so you can make your own decisions. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's a it's choosing to be independent. You want to.
0: You want to define good and evil by your own terms rather than what God says.
1: Yeah, the knowledge of good and evil. And that's really, I don't know, that's maybe a deeper level of the story that people need to understand. Like it's a choice to listen or not.
0: I love this stuff because it forces me to look at the story on a deeper level because we're so shallow. You know, a lot of the time when we look at these stories, it's just about obeying and disobeying. It's just about right and wrong, sin and death. Versus life and goodness, it's like there's so much more to it than that.
1: Yeah, which to be honest is a haystack for people. Really, I mean, if we're going to be on brand about it, but it's (laughs) it's but it's just that there's so many people who they have these false idea of Bible stories, and then that's do you know what I mean? Like they're like, oh, how could I ever love a God who just who did all this because some people ate some fruit? It's like no, that's not it. That's not the point of the story. You actually missed the point, and now you've based your entire. Like, life outlook on a faulty understanding of a single story. You know, it's... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, yep.
0: that's... Some people... That's Josh's just, rant. Some people just don't want to learn, unfortunately. Yep. Maybe that's maybe that's one thing. Maybe that's one cynical takeaway. But anyway... Um, yeah, so we see this continually, right? Like we see this in in the Tower of Babel or Babylon, really. Which when I learned that, you know, it's it's Babylon. Babylon is confusion. It's deciding to go your own way. It's deciding to be independent, to not listen to the voice, to define yeah. good and evil by your own your own standard rather than God's standard, and so. We see this in Abraham. Abraham does some good stuff. He listens to the voice initially. He leaves, but then he also doesn't listen to the voice. He lies. He mm. makes some really bad decisions. And yet God continues to journey with him and his family. And this family finds its way into Egypt and they multiply and they become a huge nation. And then that nation becomes a nation of slaves, which then God rescues and God takes them out and, um, and there's echoes all throughout that of um, this struggle between Babylon and God's wisdom, of um, the definition by which we define what's good and what's not good, um, the the willingness to go along with evil um, in in Pharaoh as he hardens his heart, and then God hardens his heart, and and the interplay between that. But mm-hmm. then eventually um, God takes this people, this Abrahamic nation, out of. Egypt and and he he brings them out into the desert on their way to the promised land, and that's where we see the story receive at the foot of Mount Sinai these ten um, commandments. Yeah, um, yeah, which are a
1: big deal. Like I think it's there is there is a clear difference between the ten, 10 commandments and the rest. You know what I mean? Like they are <laughs> written on stone by the finger of God, kind of thing. Very much so. Whereas the rest sort of evolve out of them i shouldn't say evolve that's a naughty word what have i done <laughs> okay. it's such a it's becoming such an old meme but anyway um yeah they, they, they're they all sort of like leviticus deuteronomy number like they're all sort of um extended application of those sort of 10
0: yeah yeah in and a way the, and we don't even have all of them like those 613 like there's even more like there's the the tradition of the elders um the 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 um, oral law, which is like this law which tradition tells us God gave this law to the elders in oral form, and they, they weren't yeah. allowed to write it down. Um, and so, there's this oral tradition which Jesus comes up against in when he's talking to the Pharisees. So, th- there's all these laws. We have these 10, which form the basis, but then God also has all these other laws which he talks about throughout Exodus, um, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, um, and Numbers. And all these laws kind of form the Torah. These are kind of the statutes. And as as I think I may have mentioned before, um, as with these first 10 and the others, the, the, the Torah is really, it's the it's a better word. I prefer using the word Torah than law because law is it's a bad word there's no actual good english um interpretation for for law there's no like there's no hebrew word that means literally law um torah is kind of like the closest that we have and even then torah doesn't mean law it means teaching it means sort of doctrine or instruction so it's it's not so much it's it's not legal it's not a legal term
1: yeah i think uh uh, see, even for me, I don't I don't actually like using the word Torah much because if I'm sp- speaking to somebody who doesn't know much about the Bible, the Torah means even less. You know what I mean? Like it that's doesn't true. mean anything. Yeah. So like true. I prefer to think about it maybe as like the wisdom of God. Yeah. Y- yeah. You know, or the, I don't know. It's like the, re- the you got to say the covenant of God, but it's not even that. It's like the relational uh, a relational standard but it's not even a yeah. standard because it makes it sound like you can
0: yeah i don't know like it's a the relationship guidelines <laughs> but i think that's a good i think that's a good tension to be in because there is nothing i i think to to say just the law i think it it, it misses the depth and I, it really misses the actual complexity of what the law actually is and i think that it's good that we don't have like one unified term for it yeah. Um, because if you just think of the law, you think, oh, okay, that's what it is. It's a law, you know, and it's not. But it's also a covenant, but it's also more than a covenant. It's also wisdom. And that's the deep thing about it. But it's hard to actually define it by saying it's wisdom, because we have this thing called the wisdom literature. And is it wisdom <sighs> literature? Well, it's, it kind of is, but it's also kind of not.
1: Yeah, because then there is there is the wisdom, but then there's stuff that's wise, but it's not part of the wisdom literature. You know, yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's so confusing. Yeah, um, but it like well, I guess to our it's confusing to us and our context. Yeah.
0: So as as um Tim and John talk about in the podcast and also in the video, there's kind of these these five categories of the law, and we won't go into them because it, it doesn't it's not really pertinent to our conversation but there's these five categories that um, the law basically sits under and they, they deal with all sorts of things from sacred time, like Sabbath, to justice, to all these different things. And the law, is this, it's this huge, long sort of narrative and there's these rules and these instructions that are interspersed with narrative points, right? So, there, so God gives a piece of instruction which is then followed by a story that illustrates the way in which human beings don't live up to that particular instruction. So like, you know, God says, hey, don't have any other gods before me. And that's immediately followed by a story about the golden calf and how mm-hmm. the Israelites make up a God and they worship that God and and the terrible sort of destruction that happens out of that disobedience. And so this... Story because it is a story is interspersed by these teachings, these commandments, these sort of instructions, and these instructions are then um, illustrated through the story. And what it shows over and over and over again is how difficult it is for people to live up to actually keeping that instruction to actually live within the wisdom that God is trying to communicate and trust God to keep that particular law. And this happens over and over and over and over.
1: Mm. Yeah, and that's, again, this overarching narrative that we have to look at. There's the law, but then there's what what ends up happening. Um, And the the saddest part of it, a lot of it, is a lot of those justice laws. um, Things about a year of jubilee where you release all debts and that kind of thing there's no recorded history of the people ever doing that yeah (laughs) it's like come on guys it would have been awesome like are we doing this you know we sort of do it today like we have a a huge part of you know our western economic um, structure is based on being in debt and keeping people in debt you know what I mean like that's Mm. what so much of our structure is built off but really like God was trying to make something else And that's a big picture thing because we have to look at the, the law or the wisdom of God or this, this whole covenant. We've got to look at it like what kind of people is God trying to make? Yeah. Uh, And that's a big thing for me um, because then it helps me understand, well, and that's kind of what, what Tim talks about in the podcast He's like, you have your little buckets that you put the laws into and that's those five categories. And I think, you don't have to know the five categories, but you can sort of do it yourself in your own reading. You can look at all of these laws and think, uh, okay, what what maybe is the idea behind this? Why why were they doing this? Yes, uh, why would God say this? Um, this is why I, I actually love talking to people about Leviticus, for example, because Leviticus is so like blunt and boring and horrible to read. But if you think about it as like, no, this is an immediate reaction from God to help these people transition from Egyptians to Israelites mm. um, or to be like the people he was trying to make, it makes it way more interesting. um, mm. Cause you're like, cause you, we see these things and you're like, why would there need to be a law about that? I'm like,
0: obviously there's a law because people were doing this and you're like,
1: Oh, oh yeah, you know like. <laughs> yeah
0: yeah Yeah. it's like they didn't know how to be human yet and yeah. much less be the divine people of God that God is calling them to be you know and that's the thing I think the big 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 takeaway that I, at least I'm taking away from this is that God isn't the sort of being who is incredibly interested in us keeping the letter of the law like he didn't put these laws out just just to be like a cosmic bully like here's all the here's all the rules that you have to live by and if you don't live by them i'm going to be really upset with you no god that's not god at all that's not the god that we serve god is a god of wisdom and he has a is a god of he has like this cosmic he's got like a a cosmic wisdom uh, a cosmic rhythm by which he governs himself and he governs the universe there's like a rhythm through which everything lives and breathes and has its being. Like, we we see that with Jesus. And, And God is inviting human beings into that wisdom. And he's saying, if you trust me, and if you live by my wisdom, you will prosper. You will have peace. You will live within my law of love, and you will have the love that I have and the love that circulates within me in my Trinitarian being. And so that's what God is inviting these Israelites into. He's not telling them, hey, don't boil a baby's baby goat in its mother's milk because he's some sort of bully and he's making these arbitrary rules. He's inviting them, and I believe that he's also inviting us to live in his wisdom, to listen to the voice. That's 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 the big thing, to listen to the voice, because to listen is to obey. Hmm. Oh, that's good. Um can
1: we talk about Jesus? Of or course. Before we, <laughs> or before we get to Jesus, should yeah. we? is there anything else you wanted to add before we begin um, to put a bow on this?
0: Yeah, I, I think the big connecting point between Israel and Jesus is this idea of the heart because like the Jewish understanding of the heart is that that's your whole being. It's not like they didn't have a medical term or a medical understanding of the heart. It's the heart is the emotions. It's the soul. It's the feeling. It's, the, it's also your brain. And so like the prophets continually, Moses referred to this, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they all kind of said, um, our hearts are hard. Like they talk about people having hearts of stone, Israelites having hearts of stone, the people being hard in their heart. And they would continually look forward to a day where our hearts would suddenly be softened and we would be able to live within God's wisdom and that we would joyfully keep the law because the law is good and everybody agrees that the law is good but we can't keep the law and so that's what, that's what the prophets spoke of continually throughout the ages and we can include some links if you want to look this up for yourself um, looking forward to this day when the people would have their hearts um, softened and they would live within God's law and so that's, yeah. I think that's the real connecting point
1: yeah, that whole heart of stone mm. to a heart of flesh and that kind of mm. thing. Um, there's so much about the heart in the Old Testament. Oh, it's amazing. Um, but here's the, here's the thing, right? As soon as we begin talking about the law, particularly I've noticed in uh, Adventist churches, but you know those of you from other denominations, you'll probably will have heard this from as well. If you're from a more traditional, as soon as we can talk about the law, as soon as we can talk about like anything, maybe maybe seeing the law a little bit different. It's like they load up their Bible shotgun and they whack in this bullet and they aim it at your face and then they go, but what about Matthew 5.18? That's the one you get all the time. Um, And so I'm going to read it. I'm going to read it from 17 though because context. Um, and so this is probably the most Bible study sort of thing we do. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> all right. Matthew five seventeen says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, right? Mm. But you never stop there. Because he says, For so truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. That's what they stop on all the time. Mm. Uh, they, or they might go into the next one if they're in a more condemning mood. And then they'll say, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But, but It's very important to read on. Um, for I tell you that unless your your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Uh, this really sets it up and it can sound super harsh. Um, and it really sets it up to sound like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So why are you guys talking about interpreting the law differently? We need to, he's saying not a single dot of it will disappear. Obviously, that means that the written form of it is important. And it is, it is important. You know, Paul talks about he didn't really even know what, sin was until he sort of mm. entered the law and it helped him understand. Um, but sin also has this way of sort of taking the law and using it for evil and using it as condemnation and using it to, for us to never feel good enough and never feel like we can um, live up to who Jesus wants us to be. And that's a really sad and hard place to be. But what Jesus was talking there, you got to think about it, that's right at the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, right? Yeah. As soon as you place it there, the whole thing makes a whole lot more sense because then he goes and he begins to unpack all these laws. He talks about murder and how it's like, you know, mm. you, think all, you think you're all that because you haven't murdered someone? whoop you doo but you actually spend all your time actually angry at people and you kill them in your mind. Mm. You treat them horribly and you think just because you're not murdering, you're still ticking tick the box. You, you, you talk about, oh, yeah, you haven't committed adultery, but really you're undressing all these people in your mind all the time. Um, You're doing it in your mind. You talk about an eye for an eye, all these things. And Jesus unpacks all of these laws, all of these things that you could probably place things in buckets from before. And he unpacks them, but takes them to a way deeper context. And he's saying, no, this all comes back to your heart. Hmm. And this is exactly what Jesus has come to change. He's actually come to change our heart because in what Jesus did, Jesus lived out the ultimate ideal of a person. He followed God's voice, not just once, like we see with Abraham and that big, he had that big moment where he followed God's voice. He did it all the time. Mm. And so Jesus sets this incredible example for us, but then by his actions, the Holy Spirit now enters our lives and that transforms our hearts. So instead of the law being that sort of, what um what do we say? Judicial thing where it's yeah. all, we have to go by the letter of it instead. Now it's, that wisdom lives and is written on your heart and you naturally want to keep it more because of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. Mm. And that's a huge change um, and it's a monumental shift in how we view the law and the wisdom of God. Instead, now it just becomes this perpetual wisdom that you want to use to understand how to connect to the world better. Mm. And that's what you can spend your whole life doing. I mean, the Sermon on the Mount alone has enough application (laughs) (laughs) Just yeah. <laughs> not read the rest of the Bible. To be honest, it's yeah. just so. Oh, I can't get past you had, it.
0: If all you had was the Sermon on the Mount, that you could make an incredible case for living a Christian life. That would be all you need. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Um. But I, I, lo- I love that because you know there's no there's no sort of onus on you. Like you don't have to try really 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 hard to be really good and to be really righteous and to be really holy because. Jesus has done it for you. Jesus has already lived that life, and the Holy Spirit is our opportunity of being transformed, of allowing that heart of stone to become a heart of flesh. Um, and Jesus has this really, really interesting way, you know, like like what you're saying, Josh, of turning us from the self righteous. Well, I don't murder people, but you know, I hate people and I harbour anger oh. and resentment in my heart that's the spiritual wisdom that God has been trying to communicate this whole time. You know, Jesus just takes the spiritual wisdom and he doesn't hide it behind these laws anymore. He actually exposes it and he shows how hypocritical people are because it's so easy to be religious without actually owning up to the transformational aspects of our religion. Um, I love, yeah, I love the way that Jesus um, does this and he, in 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 the Sermon on the Mount, in the greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, which is another entirely transformational sort of teaching, he just, he strips away and he um, exposes, I, I think he exposes our heart. Like, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, if you really truly want to follow the law, this is what it requires.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so really, and that's that's exactly the whole thing. You'll actually end up becoming more righteous than the Pharisees who did endeavor to keep every single letter of the law mm. and keep it in, in, in such a way where it was only their lives that mattered, but not those around them. Mm. Um and that's, that's the thing, like they were keeping the law. They were doing what they were supposed to be doing, but Jesus is actually inviting people into becoming to something way more righteous and, and and perfect even because it's actually your heart that's being transformed and it's a natural change within you. Mm. Ah, Yeah, I don't know. It's so mind-bending but encouraging at the same time and it's just inviting you onto this journey where there'll be hard times um, there'll be rough spots, but ultimately it's not that you're, I don't know, it, it, instead of like you're failing and missing the mark, it's sort of like a you're just learning all the time and growing.
0: And, and I think it's important to point out as well, like a lot of people who are proponents for last generation theology or for the perfection of Christian character and that sort of stuff, the emphasis is on you in yourself, like an existential Highly individualized experience, and a lot of those people end up isolating themselves from the rest of society. They don't want to mix with other people because there's the potential that they could be corrupted. But really, when I look at the laws, those five buckets of um, in 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 the um, in the Torah, and the way that Jesus talks about the law, it's all within the context of relationship. It's all with it's it's how we. It's how we operate and it's how we move around in this social world. And it presupposes that you and I are in contact with the people around us. And so, well, we'd better get our stuff in order if we're going to be relating to the people around us, because if we're not relating to the people around us well, then that's going to cause people pain. And that's what God's all about. It's He's all about preser- preserving the peace, He's preserving love and, and creating more of it so that we live in this world of peace because we're living in this world that God has created. We're living within His His wisdom.
1: Oh, that's good. That's good stuff. And I guess, yeah, at the end of the day, it all boils down into loving God and loving people. That's, that's it. all. Is it a continued continued application of that? Yeah. Which so many people don't like because they're like, "Oh, it's just too general." I'm like, "Well, that's the whole point of application." That's <laughs> anyway. That's another <laughs> discussion.
0: So, um. Maybe a few really closing uh, practical things because I know there's going to be some people who listen who go, yeah, okay, but what about the weird laws? Like, what what am I supposed to do with them? You know, I read them or I try to avoid them, but they're there and, and what do I do? it? What would you say, Josh, would be a good approach to some of the weird stuff? Don't avoid it. Jump in head first. Get in there. <laughs> <laughs> Look
1: it up. No, <laughs> no, I, I honestly, though, like it spend time okay. Some, some, I have no idea. You, I don't know if you'll find great application in it, you know, like what, um, boiling a baby goat in its mother's milk or whatever.
0: If you google stuff, there will be explanations out there. They may, yeah, not, sure. they may or may not be coherent, but there will be, <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, one of the, my favorite essays I ever did at college, for example, was when I just did a massive deep dive into um, that whole thing about you shall not have markings on your body or piercings mm. from Leviticus because I had a nose piercing at the time. I oh, know, shock horror. I was studying theology and I had a nose piercing. It caused more trouble than it was worth. But anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so I d- and I just did this mad deep dive into it and ended up, like just so loving that whole chapter and learning about the context of the people. And so, I don't know, maybe get, get a couple of people together and just commit to it. Like just commit to the weirdness um, and see what you can find. I honestly think this, whenever I've seen people go deep into like Levitical laws and all that kind of thing, they always come out the other side like, huh, that was super interesting. Mm. And they end up finding a way better application than what you would have if you just looked at it like a judicial law. Yeah. If that
0: makes sense. Um, yeah. Just off on a really practical level, um, some really good resources. A good study Bible is always great. That's a good starting point. Um, there are some good commentaries out there. If you're wanting to go that route, there's um, the word biblical commentary. Um, that's just... <laughs> That's, it's expensive. It's, I mean, if you're at Avondale, it's pretty easy to access, but otherwise, it's you might be out of access. Well, you, you may be able to borrow it from your church library or something. Maybe if you're really maybe. lucky, or you might be able to find an excerpt online or some. I I've bought them on sale, so sometimes you can get them on sale for like thirty bucks or something like that. Um, there's the NIV application commentary. Um, the SDA commentary is good, but in Leviticus, it, it falls off a little bit. Um, I wouldn't put my trust in any one commentary. Um, Rob Bell has a good audio commentary on Leviticus called Blood, Guts and Fire, The Gospel According to Leviticus. Um, So good. And uh, that is basically pay what you want. So you can literally pay 10 cents if you want. And that's how much that costs. But don't uh, pay pay a no. little bit more than ten yeah. cents, guys. Come on, yeah, <laughs> it's I, like twelve hours me. of audio. Oh, yeah, it's insane. So he he does a really uh, and if you like Rob Bell, then that'll be heaven for you. If not, um, it might just Google's, be interesting. Honestly, Google is so helpful. To be honest, I mean, don't just yep. look at one web page. Look at a few. No, Wikipedia, Bible, Bible Hub, um, and Bible Gateway are both great because they include a lot of free resources that you yeah, can like just kind of cross-reference. Matthew Henry commentary, which is a great.
1: Yeah commentary written by a Presbyterian guy. So, I don't know. There's lots of good stuff out there that you can get for free and then there's stuff if you're willing to pay for it or if you're willing to go in as a group. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, I don't know. There's some really worthwhile resources out there. So, don't think you're in this alone. And, and ask uh, your pastor. If you have a local pastor as well who, um, you know, knows his or her stuff, just yeah. ask them. They or might, they might they even give you not. some commentaries. Exactly. We're generous-ish sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. If we if we think you're the sort of person that will actually give it back, we might lend it to you. <laughs> yep, I have two sets of
1: commentaries in my office. I have one for lending and one for studying. That's
0: smart. I like yep. it. I'll so like
1: I'll never it. I'll never be without. So unless like a multitude <laughs> of people want one, uh, I don't know. Like they just want to study Romans or something, which I'd be excited about. But
0: guys, come on. Um, anyway, so I would say I would say in closing, um, rather than busting your gut trying to figure out exactly the context and and why if you're interested in the ancient context why certain people thought a certain way why the culture just you know demanded a certain response to um a certain thing you can do that but an easy way to um, discern and one that could provoke great discussion is just try and figure out what is that godly wisdom what is the divine wisdom behind the law and how can you apply that to uh, your life because the reality is there's a heck of a lot of stuff in the bible that you can't literally apply people have tried is a very famous book by a guy who tried to, as much as possible, follow Levitical law, live his life for a year following all the precepts and the laws in the Bible. If you're like that, you're weird. I respect you, but you're weird. <laughs> for most of us, though, it's about figuring out what is that godly wisdom, because at the end of the day, I think that's what God wants for us. Not necessarily for yeah. us to, you know, kill ourselves trying to figure out what how to, to, to follow these laws literally, but for us to be able to discern what is the godly wisdom behind it and how can I apply that to my life.
1: If I was gonna put that in our in a sermon, I would say God doesn't want to God doesn't want us to kill ourselves trying to follow the law, but instead live our fullest life by by following his voice. Oh. What put that on instagram tweet that that's that's pastor josh coming out right there okay <laughs> I love it. yeah hey no i think that's a really good note to end on my note obviously was the best note to end on so we're gonna know <laughs> <laughs> but hey another great place that you might want to go to to figure out more of this context context and uh, figure out some of these laws as a community is the burn the haystack community on facebook uh, you can go there, you can ask questions, um, and people will respond. We want to build more of a community around the podcast. Um, it's still a growing little group, so make sure you go there. Uh, the secret password is Poppy Gloria. Put it in, or I'm not letting you in, is the main thing. Not just me. We're not, we're just saying we only want people to actually listen to get in. So, Poppy Gloria, whack that in, and you'll be in the group like that because you've proved you're a listener.
0: Um, Also, for everything Burn the Haystack, um, everything else, just go to burnthehaystack.org, burnthehaystack.org, and you'll find everything you need from our social media to um, being able to listen to the podcast on whatever platform that you want. And if you have been listening for a while, why don't you write us a review? And if this is the first time or the first time in a little while that you've listened, Um, hit the subscribe button. We would love that. And we would love you forever if you did that.
1: We already do love
0: you forever because uh, that's what we're called to do as Christians. But uh, hey, that is
1: uh, Josh and Jesse out!